They be like, slow up, homie. You're talking too fast. I got a couple of quips. I came to talk trash. Yeah, he's Bucky Watson, Bradley Bax. This is going down. We call it the G Splash. Hey. Welcome to the G Splash, aka the dopest podcast on earth. We kick you six pop culture stories of the week. I'm your host, Bradley Baxter, always riding shotgun. Is my man Chris Bucky Watts. What up, everybody? That's me. I'm here. Here I am. Boom. 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 Uh, this is episode 109. Almost to that 110. We, we'll hit that before our break for sure. Oh, yeah, look at that. Uh, we're trucking. Yeah, I know. We're, we're about to hit 200 soon before you know it. Uh, today we're talking the toys that made us season three, mm-hmm. which is great. Yes, this is a great show across the map, but uh, I think this one, season three, hit me a little, a little harder than most of the other ones only because I remember, I think Ninja Turtles is like uh, maybe Ghostbusters. Because mm-hmm. I was really big into Ghostbusters, which we'll talk a little Ghostbusters later in the show as well. But Ninja Turtles is like the first thing I really remember of like a craze. And I was like, man, why can't I get these toys? Like, why are they so hard to find? Like, you know. Uh, and then Power Rangers was like my second wave, I would say. Right. That yeah, was this, my second wave. The fact wave. that this season, I mean, this show is a Netflix original show. It's been on for three seasons now, which is great. But the fact that this season, the lineup was... Power Rangers, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, two big hitters, and then My Little Pony and Wrestling, which were all the episodes. If you haven't watched the documentary series, it's amazing. There's so many behind-the-scenes stuff you don't even think of. So yeah. Can't wait to talk about this season. We got a lot of stuff to talk about still, though, in the news game. We've got some more. Oh, yeah. It's always good when you got a nice little Avengers in-game nugget. Uh, we got some DC news, some Disney news, as always. Man, we got a lot of stuff, um, but... Before we get into it, Chris, how you doing, man? We, we rarely talk, take the time to talk about how we are. Doing really we just good. dive right into stuff. Excited. I mean, good. we got this whole uh, holiday thing coming up with the season yep, and all that yep. stuff. So um, I'm doing good, man. I'm hanging Tis in the there. season. Tis the season. And uh, hope everybody's going to have a safe and happy holiday out there. You know what I mean? Damn right. I got to tell the, I gotta tell a quick story. So oh, hit us. Hit me. Funny story. I came home today. My niece was like, meh, 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 meh. And I was like, yo, where did she learn that? I know we've had multiple conversations like, yeah, I use the air horn too much, blah, mm-hmm, blah, blah. Like, that's mm-hmm, the thing. Mm-hmm. It's become a staple of the show. Yeah. How, how, you, over, you either love it. People. Yeah. You either love it or you hate it. I, that's what, safe to say. But I looked at my brother-in-law and I was like, yo, like, where did she learn that? And, and it was much like watching the the old drug uh, awareness. Oh, yeah. Where's, I learned it from you. Learned it oh, from man. you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she said, long story long, she's like, I learned it from your podcast. Uh, she didn't really say podcast. She said show, I think. But I was like, oh, wow. So, but she was like, I'm rubbing off. Driving everybody insane. Yeah. All right, Chris, let's get into this news, though. Nope, wrong button. Chris, 
Toys R Us is back. I'm not sure if you heard about that. I did. I did. They're going to make a big comeback. A big, big comeback. Yeah, right. Uh, but they're back here, out here, uh, East Coast, Jersey. The new Toys R Us comes with some changes, of course, as the show, uh, as the new store prioritizes being able to experience the toys as opposed to just looking at them on the shelves and has rooms dedicated to brands. You can't buy the toys from the store directly. You can head to an in-store kiosk to order them from the Toys R Us website, which all sounds in keeping with the brand's promises when they are relaunched. But there's there's a new thing they're doing. There's cameras and sensors on the ceiling that are monitoring what what your kids are doing in the sense of what they're going towards and what they're picking up, blah, blah, blah. So... In the sense, this makes sense for Toys R Us because that was kind of what screwed them in the first place. Okay. Was taking on everything and yeah. not really what was selling. But now they're they're monitoring the trends. So people are a little weirded out about this, which is also funny considering everyone's got a computer with a camera on it mm-hmm. and microphone. So... Toys R Us will be monitoring your kids and what they like. In a sense, it's like a, a, it's like Facebook, right? It's like Facebook, but real life. Yeah. This, I mean, what a strange thing to. I, I'm trying to envision it, just reading it over the whole in-store experience. Like, and you go in, and instead of be just seeing a play set, like it's already set up, and you just get to freaking play with it, and they measure how much fun you're having. That and what you gravitate towards. What are you picking like, up? Well, what are, are the you... kids? What are the kids going to and wanting to play with? What are mm. they spending their most time with? Oh, they're only spending two seconds looking at butthole pony and they're spending eight <laughs> minutes playing with slime McGee or whatever. Like, okay, right. that's, that's, so it's basically just a big analytic machine they turned into and they're going to sell that data. It's a li- yeah, bigger li- toy, toy brands sell toys more effectively. It's, cool. Right. See it's going to be what they're up to. from a business standpoint. Is, it seems fine. Right. I mean, but... if, here's the big deal. People have to go in though. Like, it's not necessarily that their business model isn't going to work because they're basically saying, hey, we're going to sell you all this information. What's going to happen is, like, will people drive to a store to go play with toys just to order them from a kiosk or just to sit there and play? Like, the, and also there's, like, a germ thing, and we're in an age where some kids aren't vaccinated. They're going to have some hurdles. They're going to have some hurdles. <laughs> they're going to have some hurdles. But I'm excited yeah, to see know. them back. I think this is being blown out in the sense of like, oh, a company's monitoring your kids. I think it's being blown out a little. Like, they're just trying to get you the right product. There's no different than what Facebook does or or anything online. God, no. It's just like real life. Yeah, it's real real stuff, real life. Kids, Disney, always go hand in hand. Disney hit $10 billion this year at the box office. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. History. Disney hits $10 billion, I was like, $10 billion? There's not that many people on earth to subscribe Disney+. Plus. But yeah, ten billion this at the year box at office. the box office. Bingo. Yeah, which is history. The first studio to do it, but they have the uh, artillery to do so with 20th Century Fox now. So is that? I mean, Lion. King, yeah, I'm trying to go through my head. Sorry, I was thinking all the movies that made over a billion. But I mean, what a big year because of all the properties you well, own, right? Right. Yeah, you got Captain Marvel. Yep. That that hit a billion. Obviously, Endgame, Endgame. hit a billion. Spider Man hit a billion. Uh yeah, I think Lion King hit a billion. Spider Man. What was the other Disney release live action this year? Aladdin hit a billion. Aladdin hit a billion. I mean, basically, everything hits a billion now. I'm curious if Spider Man counts though. Because they split it. 
technically weren't they not supposed to see any of the profit like all sony they just got creative input on that first contract you know what someone have to look at it because i know uh, there is something where they got money but they didn't get any of the merchandising money or some shit like there was some weird thing but they did definitely get paid for that and maybe maybe the number is adjusted for that film without actually what they brought home oh you toy, know what I mean? toy yeah i mean the, the heavy hitters four. were in game lion king captain marvel uh toy story 4 and aladdin those were the heavy hitters okay. it was all broke I mean, and then they had a bunch of other movies throughout the year, right? Making millions here, 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 here. House, house is officially the house of Hollywood. Crazy, right? I can't imagine like, like, I mean, just they're the first studio to do it. Million dollars. That's just maybe that's nothing compared to when you look at like the whole machine and stuff. But just for like the movies, people, that's ten billion dollars from people going to the movies and buying tickets. Like, shit, that's a lot of people watching a lot of movies, and I was one of them, and I helped. I mean, Frozen 2 is actually on the way to a billion. Oh, yeah, yeah, and that one will hit. Probably before Christmas, before the end of the new year. That's, so they've hit $6.7 billion internationally, $3.3 billion domestically, and then that's not even including Fox at all. Um, but under that Fox nugget, they still have Ford versus Ferrari, I think, is a Fox film. They have Star Wars coming out. Frozen 2 will hit a billion. So, yeah, they're on their way. Look, I want a, I want a little bit of that paper. I want to get some of that little, cheddar. Little, little cheddar cheese. Cut me off Bingo! <laughs> Speaking of killing it, man, Jack Black is talking about hanging it up. The actor told Balance, maybe one more movie. I'm kind of enjoying the idea of early retirement. I've been saying that for a long time and a uh, long time that this is my last movie. We'll see can't really say what my next thing is because it's too early it's a jinxer i've got a couple of tricks up my sleeve but not too many i'm looking to wrap it up pretty soon and ride off in the sunset hmm. uh he's talking about jumanji 3 being his last uh, second not maybe not his last movie but one more after Wait, that do one more yeah he did mention stuff about uh kind of the tarantino thing where he was like if tarantino calls me to do a movie i'll pro- like it'll be hard for me to say no sure no matter when I mean, if they're gonna do movies to write it out, then that probably would be okay. Right. Like, I, I, I get what he's saying too. He's basically saying like, I'm, I kind of want to step back and start focusing on other things, or just not be, in, not do this anymore. But you know, I'm not gonna have Sean Connery quit. Where I'm like, no matter what the role is, I won't come back. I'm just gonna quit in the sense of like, I'm not gonna say yes or be looking at a ton of scripts unless something they're like, oh, by the way, a Tarantino movie came through, or by the way, a freaking Spielberg came through. You know, then it's like, oh, I'll take a look. You know what I mean? Would you agree with this statement that uh, Jack Black is probably one of the better act, one of the best actors? That's kind of like under the radar. Yeah, I think. I mean, for what he's I mean, done, he's held a, he's he's like held a franchise with Kung Fu Panda. Yeah, everybody has ups and downs, and I think that if you actually look at his career as a whole, it's very and for me. It's very similar, but more stable uh, than Jim Carrey's. Like, if you look, he has, like, these serious roles that didn't really land, but he has a couple serious roles that landed really well, and then some really classic, funny movies that he's a part of, and then just kind of this up and down of, like, a, a hit here or something that was surprising or something he was in that did really well. You know what I mean? He's, he, I think, he had, overall, he has just a great a great filmography. Uh, yeah, he's got some, ones that are some real stankers. What, uh, what would you say his best movie is? Jack Black's best movie? Yeah. Critically or for me? Both. For me, it's the same movie. School Maybe of Rock. Maybe not. Probably. I don't know. I guess I, I was that's exactly I'm the same with that. I School of Rock it's is probably Tropic Thunder. Oh, I forgot about or, that. Or no, it might be high fidelity. Uh critically? 
Was that is that based on the movie or like him kind of being the the mold in that movie? I think that's based on the film, like movie he's in, not one that he drives because right. he was so. I mean, he was also so surprising in that movie. Like he just he crushed. Um, he he stood out in that film and kind of made. I mean, I actually like John Cusack. A lot of people don't, but I think that movie really really sticks in there because of him. Let me uh, let me jump to the old Google machine just see what his top five Kung Fu Panda. I- Kung Fu Panda 3, okay, so boom. I should have said Kung Fu Panda, but and voice animation is tough. It's like, I don't consider Tom Hanks' best movie to be Toy Story, even though Toy Story is a great, 100% film, you know what I mean? Right. Bernie, I knew Bernie was going to be there. Number two is High Fidelity, and number one is School of Rock. So look at us, we crushed. Yeah, I, I think Tropic that's Thunder is all the way at one, seven. Tropic Thunder, I think it's overshadowed with Robert Downey Jr. Sure. Away with blackface, but... um. I think School of Rock is definitely a movie that is good. Mm-hmm. I think that Jack Black carries that movie, and I think that's it's a good story, and I think he leads it all the, all the way. I mean, Orange County is also good, and I know he's a co-star in that movie. Oh, yeah, that's a, that's a good one. But, yeah, I think... I agree. School of Rock, I mean, even the critic consensus, if you look at Rotten Tomatoes, it's that it, it's, it's all him. It's Black's exuberant, gleeful performance turned School of Rock into a hilarious, rocking good time. So we, yeah, we knew. We knew. I mean, it's a musical. Yeah, it's got it's a, musical a musical element. It's freaking great. It's got a heart to it. It's funny. I mean, you go through the rest of his like movies he's made, and there's some, there's some that aren't so good, but there's also ones here that I really, you know, enjoy watching. Like, and some that surprise. Like the surprises are where he really stands out. Jumanji's in the top fifteen, which I agree because that movie's awesome, mm-hmm. and he does a great job. Goosebumps made in there because that was a shocker, and he was fun in that. There's things like that. Yeah, I think I think he's got a great catalog. His and worst I think, movie, not Gulliver's Travels, shockingly enough. It's actually I Envy. I forgot he did Gulliver's Travels. Envy, which I watched a bunch when I was younger. I used to think that movie was hilarious, but it is a terrible, terrible movie. I'll say this. One of my favorite lines from Jack Black of all time, and I say this just about every time I get a plate of nachos, is oh, yep. uh, when he's in Saving, Saving Silverman. Silverman. Great movie. And he picks up the nachos, and he picks up like 10 of them. They're all cheese melted together, and he's like, if you pick up one and they're all stuck together, it's technically considered one nacho. One nacho. It's one one not one nacho. They're all together. That's one nacho. I do. I think everybody does. If anybody's ever seen that movie, they do that now, and I love it. Yeah, I love yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, ah, man. Speaking of epic movies, much like Jack Black, who deserves definitely a round of applause and is definitely probably underlisted in the radar of great actors, but let's talk about some big stuff. I'm talking. Kong versus Godzilla. That's major, baby. Kong versus Godzilla. Now, over the weekend was Brazil Brazil's Comic Con, technically. A CCAXP. Wow, cool. Tends to be a lot of announcements come out of there. But apparently there was a quick, quick, quick glimpse of Kong versus Godzilla. And you see them go at it. And a quick flash of almost like a... Like a sizzle reel. I saw the footage, and it's pretty quick. I saw it on a loop. It was that quick. And man, so is Godzilla this got a mean, final... mean beard. Okay. Yo. Is this the final a... payoff for like Skull Island meeting the Godzilla films we've seen? Is this them finally clashing? Yeah. So cool. they go like you see them like it's kind of like um... it's interesting because we didn't get a second Kong movie. We got two Godzillas, we didn't get a second Kong, and now they're just gonna throw them together. I like it. I don't know. The the story in the last Godzilla, I think, I'm not sure it hit all the way home. Yeah, it had some misses. But, the first one's real good. 
because we're introduced to so many monsters. Same with um Pacific Rim and that series, like sure. right, like yeah, I think John uh, Boyega, uh, King of Monsters, the the last one of the Godzilla one, like it was almost too much. There were too many big monsters happening. I know it was supposed to be like, which I loved. I love the idea it was an all out like war, which I thought was fun. But like it kind of the plot gets lost in that. The same way the Pacific Rim, they're trying to throw so many robot versus monster battles at you that it gets lost. And the fact that the first Godzilla movie did so well is because. It's really a human movie. Again, we talk, I talk about this all the time. A human movie that at some point Godzilla shows up to help kill Moth, the Moth, whatever the freaking Moth thing in its second one. Like, he, it's more about the people interacting. The second one tried to do that, but it focused so heavy on like, okay, we're going to fucking fight 30 monsters. But I'm jacked to see those two go toe-to-toe. It's going to be one of those scenarios where they go toe-to-toe and then are, obviously they join forces to fight one thing, right? Yeah, I, don't, I honestly have no idea where they're gonna where this one really leads. Uh, sec- Two, also remember that Skull Island took place in like the 70s. Right, yeah. So, so he's, he's, I mean, something King that Kong's big, been, you think, lives for a long, long time, right? Right, I guess. But there's like a there's like an aircraft carrier in the shot. So I feel like this is going to be one of those things that we really want. And the studio's doing its best to drive it home. Right. And it may not hit that mark, but, but we'll all go see it. Kind of roll thing. it. Maybe they'll slow roll it. And it'll all work out. Hopefully. Speaking of things that worked out, let's talk some trailers. There was so many trailers this week. Trailer Ville. There were going to be some really awesome trailers coming and all this stuff. And then, boom, now there's some real awesome trailers coming. Also staying intact with the CCXP conversation. Uh, But The Boys, season two already. That dropped this year, right? Yeah. The first season one. And they're already on season two. And it looks bloodier than ever. Heck yeah, man! I that was one of my probably my number one show of the year. Actually, was was the boys just definitely up great, there. Great, great show. Well done. Cannot wait to see season two where they're going to take it from here. Right. Uh, also, next week we'll be talking our splash trash man, uh, end of the year party where we're talking about all the movies that happened this year where we splashed them, trashed them, or mad them. Or mad them. <laughs> you think your original scores will stick? Ooh, interesting, interesting. I'm hoping so. I'm hoping I'm not. Uh, I'm not uh, turned around. At that time, we'll talk our f- what our favorite movies are. At the end. We're also gonna have Katie on the show, oh, great. so she'll be joining us. Also on this trailer list this week is Ryan Reynolds' own Free Guy. Right. Now this movie is basically kind of like an extra character who realizes he's a character in like a Grand Theft Auto type of video game. Right. Um. I remember they kind of launched a teaser or something around the time for Comic-Con in New York, right? Uh, Yes. Yeah, that's right. I remember that. Yeah. I think because he was there because yeah, he, he showed up to be like, here's the because they were just like, oh, yeah, we're going to premiere Free Guy, the trailer for you, like the teaser trailer, whatever. And then he showed up on stage to talk about it. And it was like, motherfucker, we didn't go to that one. Um, yeah. But uh, but Free Guy. Oh, yeah. This whole idea behind the movie of like an NPC in which is a non-playable character in a video game, like a Grand Theft Auto-esque game. But instead of being like the main character, you're just one of the freaking people that's like walking on the street that you run over without even noticing. Like the idea that this yeah. world exists where he just goes about his day while shit explodes and ta- falls over. And then he sort of gets woken up to it. It reminds me a little bit, we talked about before, but like of the Lego movie, kind of how Emmett just I was just going to say that his day and all, everything's whatever. That, yeah. And then he gets woken up and has to help. So I think it, it looks fun. It looks like Ryan Reynolds is going to, do a good job kind of being that. I think he could be that kind of like funny, like blank robot-esque kind of evolving as he goes. So mm-hmm. I think it'll be fun. Will this fall under like a a video game movie? And this, I know it's not 
an after an actual video game, but will this fall under that umbrella? Probably not. Because those movies don't have a good track record. Uh, here's, uh, is Jumanji uh, right, a another video one. game movie? I don't think so. It borrows from themes, but the problem with video game movies doing so poorly is because they're based off of video game source material, not just the inspiration of it. Speaking of powerful women, we're talking Wonder Woman. Yeah, what a trailer. What a trailer. They really gave us everything we wanted. Yo, the the suit is brighter than ever. Definitely got. Yeah, that's got to be some kind of specialty thing, right? It seems that way because it was obviously. Some kind of special war armor. Yeah, and when I saw the trailer, I was like, to me, it did look like that was an after, like in post kind of effect, the way they did with the color there. But I was, I mean, I was like, all right, cool. Uh, it's definitely you know, this whole like golden wing suit thing. She's definitely. Oh, that's another Sarah. one. Yeah, yeah. So she's definitely wearing that wing thing and that's out like golden armor and shit and colorful. I think it looks really cool. I love the 84, the theme, the trailers put what really has that vibe, that vibe to it of like the 80s. And also, can you, you make know, some, can you some stuff? Can you make an 80s movie about I don't know, even just about pop culture without how nothing film? I know, right? That's that's the song. That's song. It's like on every. 80s. It's like I feel like it was an X Men. It was like in all of them. <laughs> it's an easy go to. Maybe some. Maybe they have the rights to the song. Maybe. Uh, it. Uh, yeah, the trailer is good. Though. I love this whole idea of jumping ahead in time, and I think that it's. Do we it's, know? It gives us a, it gives us enough about the plot to help us understand answer certain questions right. if you're paying attention. Right. Without, you'll get caught up on the Steve Trevor thing immediately if you don't listen to the fact that. Maxwell Lord is granting wishes. Right. So if you don't know, I think if you're unfamiliar with the the, the source material, we all kind of knew that Chris Pine was coming back, but it's and I don't think the general public maybe would catch this right away or understand what how he's back after we watched him blow up in a plane. If I'm not a comic book connoisseur, do I know what's going on from this trailer? Should I know? Because I, I feel like I don't. Tough. I don't. I don't it's feel like tough. I don't. I'm not. I'm not the biggest Wonder Woman person, so it was really tough for me initially as I was going through. I was kind of like, okay, like, and, and we speculated for months. We're like, okay, Chris Pine's back. Is he a hallucination? Is he a trick? I thought like Cheetah's power is that she like when she scratches you, she she dips her claws in poison, poison so like right, you hallucinate. Right. So I was like, oh, maybe it's a hallucination she's having. But then this one really comes out the gate and is like, it maybe it's a hallucination. But if it is a hallucination, it's caused by something completely different, which is the idea that this televangelist business guy looking dude has a powerful crystal that basically is drawing power from people by giving them wishes, which is an interesting plot. Um, so we'll see how it plays out. Um, Making you know Kristen Wiig turn into <laughs> cheetah and sexy as hell and freaking gets Chris Pine back with his sweet fanny pack. Sweet, sweet fanny pack. God damn. Yeah, I can't. I can't Round of wait. applause for the family pack. Uh, Chris, I got to talk about my favorite trailer so far this week. And God damn. Surprise. Ghostbusters 3 Afterlife. Man, I can't be more excited about this movie. I was a little suspect at first. But I'm really excited that you're excited because, you know, it's one of those things where, like, there's a lot of expectation that goes into these things. And if it had come back and not had been positive, you would have been, you know, pissed. Yeah, I'm. I, the, there's a couple of things. One, and I'm probably going to spend the most time on this trailer than the rest. I love that this has, like, a almost a horror film vibe. I know it's going to be a lot lighter. It's got to be. 
I mean, you could, if anybody watches this right out the gate and not just because Finn Wolfhard is in there, like this looks like Stranger Things for Ghostbusters. Like the way it's filmed, the style, it just it feels like Stranger Things to me. Oh, that's they're playing off that aesthetic. Yeah, I mean, who else? Um, Paul Rudd looks great. I love that he's like an awesome a teacher who's he's like their teacher, right? The, the, like the teacher in Stranger Things, and the kids move to this town. And uh, the question is, obviously, there's like the ghost of it. It gives you some, it doesn't give you a ton. And we'll dig in a little bit, but like just right out the jump. What who do you think their grandfather? Oh, it's Egon. So that's my thing because he says who because there's the off camera thing where you hear Paul Rudd say, "Who the hell are you guys?" or "Who the hell was your grandfather?" And that's right when the kid that looks a lot like Spangler is that right, Spangler? Yeah, just like a tiny Egon. Egon. He she. That's when she like opens the thing and you can see the first uniform says. Spangler. So it's like, okay, that makes sense. And they look My like question him. to you is if this is supposed to be now, it's been 30 years, when did he have time to have a child that grew up to have children? Well, one, he was uh him and what's her name? Oh wait. Did they get No, to- she got with Rick Moranis. Did she, I, I, didn't she get with Egon? Or she got with Rick Moranis. Which would be even more hilarious. If Not was- hilarious. But what what about that twist that they're actually freaking Rick Moranis's kids from that and the girl with the glasses and she just happened mm. to have all the old Ghostbuster stuff. Well, they definitely find all the old Ghostbuster stuff in that. So I don't know, but it's probably Spangler. I just think the timeline. I was like, so did he have a kid we just didn't know about that was growing up, or is there going to be a throwaway line? Well, and here's what makes sense. Obviously, Harold Ramis. Yes, he's he's passed away. I think yes, it makes the, the most passed away. I think it makes the most sense to be like he was a grandfather. Thirty years is a long time. He was definitely an adult in Ghostbusters, and enough time has passed in the sense of being able to have grandchildren. I think they're still because sure. those kids are pretty young. I mean, but like if you just t- roll back thirty years, those kids are clearly. Even if you want to say they're 10 and 14, that means that the mom is only 16 or 20. Hey, the 90s was wild, man. Not. The, the so 90s. there's got to be there's got to be a throwaway line where they'll be like, oh, yeah, we weren't that close. Like, I grew up with my mom or some bullshit. If it is that or it could be something else. I don't know how a timeline work out. All I know is, I mean, you get to see everything in this trailer. You get the freaking Ecto-1 coming out rocking. You get to see a ghost trap. You get to see the uniforms. I'm freaking jacked. Yo. And there's even Slimer. We do see Slimer in the trailer. Other, that's my other theory, which I think I don't know how this whole thing's gonna go right out the gate. I have, of course, have a theory. Uh, I think that the villain is Zool. One hundred percent, because you see the you see the that freaking dog's the dog claw, claw steps on yeah. the thing, and you can hear it roar. And I think to myself, well, they never trapped Zool, but like, what what a what a throwback that would be if like every thirty years or some bullshit. I don't know, but like, why would the dog be there? Because those dogs are guardians of Zool, yeah. right? Exactly. So Zool's back, and maybe that's why he moved there to keep it controlled or underground. Or also, my buddy from work, his theory is that Harold Ramis's ghost is in the trap, so he could live forever. Mm. Not live forever, but so he could be there. Because I was like, because I, I was like, do you think since he's the only one who's dead, do you think his family will have signed off on him to be a digital, like a like a CGI character in it? And that's when he was like, yeah, I think he's in the trap. <laughs> I was like, oh damn, <laughs> it's not a bad theory. I'm I I, I would agree with that. I mean. Speaking of that whole scenario in um, 
the original Ghostbusters, and we know this because we watched uh, movies that made us, is that Slimer was actually based off John Belushi. Yeah. Crazy. And yeah, you know, they, they, they were just pulling right where they could. So I w- that seems to be full circle, if you ask me. Uh, I'm okay with that. But I think this movie looks good, and I'm... I know that there was a reboot recently that everyone's kind of glossed over and everyone kind of didn't oh, like. Everyone glossed over. This movie glossed over it, which I love. It said, Paul Rudd's character says, there hasn't been a ghost sighting in 30 years, meaning that there's no way that film took place because there were ghosts all over New York City. <laughs> exactly. But at the same time, without that movie, we got to keep it sure. in line. Without that movie, we don't get Thor Ragnarok. We don't get Chris Amesworth sure. to be a better Thor. So sure. that movie has no, its purpose, and I think itself, it's important. I think, yes, I, I I say I think it needs because it is just not. It just doesn't hold up in the tradition. I'm glad they're making something that feels a little closer. That movie has a lot of things it did really well, but overall, it just was kind of LARP, and they LARP. apparently learned from it to make something different. Right. But speaking of Chris Amesworth, there's some more in-game news, y'all. Man. A lot of, a lot of. There's gonna be more in game. This movie's done. It's over. It's out. Chris, you forget that this movie came out this year, and it was the, it's the biggest movie of all time. So, we're coming up on Oscar season. Uh, as a part of their promotion, to get a as much Oscar consideration as possible, in game and Disney have released a full script for the record setting film, so that members of the Academy may read through it, and you can as well. Uh, I maybe will put the link in, down below if I feel up to it, but it's 149 pages of a script, PDF form. So get your okay. acrobat, uh, your preview ready. Get the acrobat but warmed up. But there are some things in there that uh, we didn't see on on the screen, much like uh, some people got snapped that we didn't see. Uh, Wong got snapped. Uh, Thunderbolt Ross. General Ross. General Ross. Exactly. Red Hulk. And there was another run that was important, but it's in there. It's in the script. But this is a part of the part of the whole push for Oscar noms. Black Panther won three. Do you think Endgame will beat three? Mm, No. I think there's too much. I think there's way too many hitters this year. Yeah. Yeah. They'll fall apart. I mean, unless they pick it up for sound design. Costume just like they get noms for all the stuff because it was such an epic. That's the only way I think it beats it. It won't beat it for good. It's not going to get a best picture. Not the reason. Part of the reason they're releasing the script is for story adaptation, right. which is what Black Panther won. There you go. There you go. So it's probably got that one sewed up because I don't know. I mean, Aladdin didn't hit. Uh, Lion King didn't hit. Yeah, miss miss miss. As far as uh, an adaptation goes. Um, also in it was Steve, uh, Captain America, Steve Rogers. Uh, they give you a direct timeline to when he went back and it's 1949, which I believe is four years after he went in the ice. So that's the timeline you see him and Peggy get together is 1949. Right. So there's some stuff in there. Okay. Some good, it's probably, it's probably worth a good read if you want to be about it, about it. Um, but I mean, in game, you know, there's a lot of good movies this year. So I've been pushing for in game and I've lost every argument between you, Chris and Katie. 
<laughs> for like Robert Downey Jr., in uh, sure. game being best picture. There's a lot of good stuff, and um, one of the things that's on our on our docket coming down the line as we talk about this, but uh, Hollywood Reporter did a actors roundtable. This one will air January 19th on Sundance, but it's Adam Sandler, Jamie Foxx, Robert De Niro, Adam Driver, Shia LaBeouf, Tom Hanks. They all sitting down in a discussion okay, okay. about their films because they've all had big years this year. So, holy, I mean, that is that. How do I watch that? Sundance, Sundance, holy macaroni channel. Yeah, so that's what a what a hit that'll be. Yo, I mean, yeah, all those guys just hearing them talk. Uh, I watched. Watching Shia LaBeouf talk about his film Honey Boy and the reaction from some of the stuff he was uh, answering some of these questions with Tom Hanks. I mean, for me, seeing somebody like Shia LaBeouf in a room full of those guys was like, I don't know. I felt rewarding for me for some reason because I'm a big fan of Shia LaBeouf. Uh, He's having a great year, and I think he's at that caliber, but he just no one's been a perfect childhood star. And, sure. and no one's really come you know, out. And it, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's yeah. come out of that gamut? Like, they're all fucked up. Christian Bale has anger. <laughs> was he? A, w- he come, where'd he come from? Yeah, Empire of the I Sun. I mean, jo- maybe. He's like freaking 10. I mean, Josh Brolin. Brolin. Yeah, there's some that are okay, but they all got every. I mean, just an actor in general. You're going to be in the acting game that long. You're going to have some shit you're going to carry. I think the accolades that Charlotte Buff has done is incredible so it was good to see him in that caliber of 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 actors jamie fox oh adam sandler's also in there well uncut gems is crushing i mean it comes out next week or sat or this week rather but yeah that's getting all kinds of buzz i heard kevin garnett really kills that role i'm just kidding really no i'm just kidding i don't it's kevin garnett he probably has like five lines anyway uh that's going to do it for the news section of this week. But, man, let's talk about my favorite thing and what keeps me going every single day. Let's talk about toys, Chris. We're talking about the toys that made us season three. And, man, we'll just brush over this because I know that, Chris, like, My Little Pony is important. And I'll say this, too. Uh, I watched this with my nieces, and my sister right. was around and played with My Little Pony back in the day. Right, okay. But the thing that I love about this, and most, not most, but a lot of the stories with toys is they're, all right, guys, we needed a toy. What do we, like, you're just like, this is the this is how it starts, right? Mm-hmm. Hey, guys, we need a toy. Well, we have. It's unreal. We have these ponies. What? We have horses. It's weird how the evolution goes in, in toy making. Yeah, there's really a especially uh, in the early level. Days. Yeah, there's a level, especially when like when you think back to your childhood. You, if you're someone, I mean, for uh, us, it's different than if somebody watches who's like in their fifties. But like, it, maybe not though, because these toys, it always. I don't want this to like ruin people's childhoods. It didn't ruin mine, but like the the idea of commercialism is so intense. The fact that like yeah. it's all about money, which it it makes sense. That's what you get into something to make money, not for the joy of it, like when you're a big giant company. But this whole show and each episode, pretty much every episode, it starts off with them being like, okay, we need to make money. How are we gonna sell this idea? Well, okay, let's just fucking try it. Let's create a cartoon series that kids will fall in love with and remember so fondly, not remembering the toy the cartoon series was only created to sell toys and to make money and to push things. Or like My Little Pony, like 
well, I had no idea that Hasbro was that close to bankruptcy in the 70s. Like, they were on, like, the, their last few dimes because of the oil crisis. They just couldn't make toys and ship and all that shit. And they were like, okay, what could we just throw at the wall that'll sell? And they had these ponies, and the first set didn't really sell that well. And then they tried out My Little Pony and just repainted the damn old ones. And they just exploded to something that still has a massive following today and sells hundreds of thousands of units every year. Not uh, Unreal. Unreal. Not only that, it's had multiple shows. And oh, yeah. for some reason, and I maybe we can talk about this because I know nothing about it. But there's a huge adult male following for My Little Ponies. Oh, my God. Bronies? What a culture. Bronies. What a culture. I don't get it. I, but I'm as much as I don't get it, I'm like, there's somebody who's like, this guy's collecting dolls. Talking about Funko Pops. Like, I get it. You know what I mean? Like, I, sure. I get it. Sure. But, I mean, I, I get. I think there's also something to be said for like this is so interesting. Just as like a a little thing, the, uh, what I love is that in this show, the toys that made us, and also in the movies that made us, that one we've we've chatted about before. I love the episodes, or I, I guess I should say I'm most surprised by the episodes that I don't really that I didn't care about as a kid or I didn't do like. When it comes to the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, I didn't, I wouldn't, wasn't raised on Power Rangers, didn't have a love for them like you did, but I understood what Power Rangers were, and through history and time, and just knowing you, I know a bunch of the history of the show and stuff. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was huge for me, but like, it's the episodes like My Little Pony and Professional Wrestling where I'm like, oh shit, I didn't play with that stuff, so I had no idea. Number one, this culture, you know, this culture was as big as it is, or like how they got started, and and Bronies is a great example. Like, I know Bronies exist, but I didn't really until this dig into the idea of like, Oh, it's because the cartoon show is really actually, it started off as kind of a joke for meme culture, but it started to be like, Oh wait, this show's written really well. And it's animated really cool. And the themes are both for adults and kids. It's like any cartoon show. We right, like. isn't it? it just happens that these guys dress up uh, yeah. as these fucking horses. <laughs> <laughs> when you say it like that, it just sounds weird. Uh, but no, that, they take it to another level. But man. isn't it the same? Uh, isn't it the same writer who did like uh Powerpuff girls? Yeah, it was the, the My Little Pony, the the show. They they put it in there. So it was uh, they did uh, Powerpuff Girls and then Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends were her two big ones. Oh which, wow, that was a good, I, yo, that, that show's awesome. Friends, that show's dope. That show is a jam. It's a hit. It is it's like so it's like good. I'm gonna hit you with one and let's see if you know it. I'm gonna say that yeah, she was the her name was Lauren Faust and she was the creative director and or developer and executive producer who got like some of Cartoon Network's big shows going and then launch this one that's just been mama mia mama mia a cash a cow <laughs> i'm gonna hit you with another cartoon real quick uh that was around the same time as the one you just mentioned uh what was it called foster's home for imaginary foster's friends. home for imaginary there was another cartoon and this was on mtv and it was oh, man I'm, I'm drawing a blank on the title daria no it was a. Uh, it was about high school high school some clone high, man. Clone fucking high. Yo. No, no, no. It's not Bill Lawrence. Is it? Is it Bill Lawrence? It's the dude that does Rick and Morty, and I think Bill Lawrence. Let me just go to the Google. Clone High is an amazing, hilarious show. Who did Community? Russo Brothers. Oh yeah. So it's it's a it was created by Phil Lord, uh, Christopher Miller, and so Lord, Lord and Miller, who obviously did like the 
Yes. Uh, yes. Amazing job yes. on the Lego movie and stuff. But then also Bill Lawrence, who did um, who did uh, Scrubs and stuff, mm. got together on this thing, mm. which basically it's just a high school full of clone, teenage yeah. versions of famous people from yeah. history that they cloned. So Lincoln. Like Cleopatra. Lincoln, Gandhi, like popular people, JFK's there. It's freaking amazing. Yo, Gandhi was a rapper who G Spot rocks a G Spot. Remember that? Bill Lord and Miller, they also did uh, Spider Verse, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hell yeah, dude. Those guys rock, man. They they get it. It didn't last very long, man. It's only thirteen episodes long, but it is a treat. Uh, we probably won't touch too much on the WWE stuff. I mean, that whole has yeah. its own culture to begin with. And uh, I think that episode, if you are in the thing that interested me most about WWE, and not to get too deep into it, was just the idea that like those toys, just how the toys got made to go along. I think there's something interesting when it comes to like violent type things, and that you know they kind of deal with the idea of like how do we get toys made to support this sport. Right. It's like, is it really wrestling? Is it not? Like, they're kind of dealing with grappling with the same stuff. And, you know, we're seeing such a huge uh, growth, explosive growth in the WWE right now. And it's, mm-hmm. it's sort of getting this new popularity because people are accepting that it's just, they're just watching something that's fake and that's okay. Like, it's it's just entertaining. It doesn't have to be real. It's like, it gives a shit. It's, it's like, fun. It's a, it's a live soap opera with super human guys, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Or also just like, that one's just interesting because they're dealing with such a, a tab. It was almost taboo. Like if you were in a WWE back then, you were kind of trashy or like you just didn't care what your kids were watching. It feels like. I mean, but yeah, it's not that's, true. It's I just was. Like, it's a yeah, yeah. I thought was, the same thing back when it was called a WWF. Like WWF. I, yo, I was about it, about it. Like SummerSlam. I, I was all in, man. I had a, a subscription to WWF magazine, and I let yeah. I left. I left around the way before it became WWE. And I always, because WWF was like a world, it stood for World Wrestling Foundation, or Federation. Federation. Right. But there was a World Wildlife Foundation. Yeah, that sued him <laughs> for somehow, But somehow they like, I remember reading that as a kid and being like, I don't, like, it's weird. Because they were, and those those were like those commercials on Nickelodeon was like WWF. And you're like, that's a WWF. Oh, yeah, man. Anyway, that but that was a part of, you know, I mean, I remember video games, Undertaker, Hulk Hogan, Macho Man, oh, yeah. Roddy now Roddy I Piper, Ric Flair. Woo! Hell yeah, dude. Not I mean? freaking look back now. My freaking Macho Man Randy Savage. I look back now and... Ultimate the, the, Warrior. I, those, I, those freaking ideas of it being like a trashy thing for like whatever is... Because, now I look back and I'm like... Ah, oh, what a what a waste! Because if you if our mindset had always just been as a culture, like this is no different than watching theater or watching like right. and I know theater sounds weird, wow. but like these are performers acting, going up and doing something that's actually pretty physically challenging, but they're doing it. It's highly coordinated. It takes a lot of personality and stuff like that. It's not just two dudes beating on each other. Like that fact. If back then I had, I would have been appreciated. And I'm like I go back and I look at the old stuff and I'm like that's fucking cool or that's really cool. Yeah. But it was always like oh it's fake. I like, guess a kid was like it's fake and it's violent. We don't need that shit. That's for why would you want that? And it's like well shit my cartoons are no more real. Why don't I just watch these dudes freaking right. jumping off ropes at right. each other? That's and know? I think and that's where it translates with with toys in and I think that's why it makes sense to do an episode on that is because you see these characters who are real life performers. But are come like they're characters at the end of the day, the superheroes in a sense. And you bring them home because I remember playing the video games, and right. I, oh yeah, you know what I mean. And like they would have like some, 
G.I. Joe had the kung fu grip, but then like as action fil- uh, action figures uh, evolved, you were able to get like kick spins and like body slams, like all kinds of shit. So definitely WWE is in that realm of of kind of the toy evolution, action figure evolution in the sense of um, what toys could do, the stories they could tell, and bringing those characters home in a handheld kind of uh atmosphere you know what i mean like you it's it's right. you could build off that in, as an imag- in in your imagination which i think is why it's crazy. relevant crazy but chris we got to talk about power rangers man i know i don't i want to oh, yeah. i want to spend some good time on it but i don't want to spend too long on it because sure. i have to say uh saban is probably the luckiest motherfucker Dude, in the world i cannot like what knowing like just not just to give everybody go watch the episode on power rangers it's really cool to see how somebody took an idea and said oh i want to i think this is really cool like and talk about a shortcut it's a shortcut let's start yeah let's talk about yeah. let's talk about so originally stan lee you're dr marvel captain marvel marvel god <laughs> eternal marvel uh the man and it, to be fair, it wasn't Mighty Morphin that he tried to pitch. No, no, it was a Japanese. I mean, here's the thing about Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. J- Japan has been making iterations of the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers for, for 50, 60 years. Like, <laughs> they've been making a show about people that get super-powered for years and iterating on that. And, oh, they get weapons. And, oh, they get giant robots. Super Sentai. They just hadn't really ever put it together. Yeah. Yeah, Super Sentai. And I've, I've actually watched all of the Super Sentai Mighty Morphin and whatnot. And we'll get into that a little bit later because this, this will definitely get to there. But originally, Stan Lee stumbled across this stuff. And they tried to pitch it to networks and no, everybody laughed them out the office. For years. For years. And then he, he worked with, uh, I forget her name off top, but she was the CEO of Marvel, right? She was the CEO of um no, she got that title. Yeah, she, no, but at was, first she was working she was with Stan else. Lee. She was at she Marvel. Was Stan Lee's boss, but it was right. for something different. It was like she was like the creative creative development head of creative development, which meant that he technically worked underneath her. So, time goes on. I think it's like ten years later, eight years later, something, something, something like that. Yeah. Heim Saban is in a hotel room in J- Japan or somewhere for the Olympics. Is that right? Yeah, he was. I can't remember why he was there. He was doing some international business or whatever. So he stumbles across this show, and he want. He's like, he thinks it'll work over over here in America. So somehow he he buys the rights for. Wait, let's backtrack a minute because we kind of skipped over why Stan Lee was involved. Stan Lee was involved because of the Spider Man show that was happening in Japan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's gonna make an appearance in um the in the Spider Verse, yeah, seventies seventies Spider Man. Right, so they were working with that team, and that's how that kind of started. And so, yeah. fast forward, Haim Saban uh, bought the rights and was trying to sell this. Yeah, he saw it in like a hotel room. He he watched it and was like, "This is great." And then he was like, "Yeah, I want to make this." And so they said, "Okay, like good luck." And he partnered with them, and and then he created that pilot episode. It was like an eighteen minute pilot. And and just got rejected. It took eight years for somebody to even like give him a chance with it. <laughs> and the person that gave him a chance was, yes, that same woman mm-hmm. at Marvel 
who was who tried to pitch it with Stan Lee. Like, yeah, and I love that. She I love became, that story. And he's like, she's like, I know what this is, and he's like, you know what this is, and she's like, oh yeah, I love this. And he's like, oh shit, I love this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it was like a coincidence, definitely a coincidence. But she was the head of Fox Kids mm-hmm. at that time, so she greenlit yeah. this thing, and it, she put her job on the line. And, and they're like, you're going to be fired if this flops, yeah, which is amazing. Because nobody liked that. Everyone was like, are you kidding me? Like, no, this no, isn't going to work here. You're, you're, it's it's teen but here's th- American kids, but you're cutting in Japanese footage when they're in fight. Okay, whatever. Right. So this is this is the this is the recipe somehow. And they were to take old Japanese footage of this show of characters in costume because they didn't show their face and was going to film basically a b-roll and yeah. tie and have these writers write the show to with footage and make it tie all and that's, together and that's how that's, the, that's how is, power man. rangers it, came into play which is yeah, it's the actual japanese footage of the fighting whenever whenever you don't see a white person on screen it's a japanese person from the, the yellow ranger show. the yellow ranger is a guy in the japanese yeah. uh show but it's a long we won't even get into that but that's it's that's amazing. part of it yes so anyways the fact they made the show the way they did and then they obviously made toys that just wrecked right and before we before we get into the toys because i am uh obviously junkie when it comes Avid to these stuff. Yeah. yeah uh but heim saban took a shortcut he was like all the all the expensive stuff is already filmed yep we're just gonna film like get no name actors, the kind of cheeseball actors who know somewhat about choreography <laughs> and martial arts. And for some reason, it didn't not only did it work, but it set the world on fire. Oh my god. It's the greatest it's one of the greatest shows and the show's I mean, terrible. The show itself and the just the merchandising. I mean they, But merchandising they wise, yeah. It was a it was crazy. I remember being here, around. Here, here's the part. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Go ahead. Mm-mm. Go ahead, Chris. Because I, I, I was just getting into me as a childhood junkie. Uh, no. What? What? The thing you said earlier about Haim Saban being the luckiest man. Like, if whether like we won't dig too much into it. Watch the episode. But like, there's been you know Power Rangers getting sold to this company and this company and getting bought back and this and that for all this money. He's made so much money. But the thing that blew me away about him being lucky and I am lucky. The way he negotiated that. The fact that he solely signed all distribution rights for merchandise and everything everywhere in the world except Japan, that the toy company said, yeah, that sounds right. Like, well, any anything we sell and distribute in, in Japan, we'll keep that. If you do it anywhere else in the world, you get to keep all that money. Meaning that when Power Rangers exploded, the people that were actually doing it in Japan and the companies there we're only making money for the stuff in Japan, and Haim Saban was making money for everywhere else that, that was selling merchandise or distributing the show. Right. Oh, oh, oh so much. I mean, crazy. In 1993, they made a billion dollars just in much, units moved. And ah! and much like much like that deal, which is so crazy too, is the original Star Wars deal, right? Like Kenner had crazy. They had like what was it? Like 99 percent of profit off the merchandise. And George Lucas didn't have anything. Unreal. So it, he kind of looked out in that fashion. Not only that, but Bandai had uh, as a Japan com- company, and then they also had Bandai America, and their biggest seller was a doll 
Yeah. And like a really intricate doll. <laughs> then all of a sudden this show blows up and Bandai Japan is like, oh yeah, we already made all these toys. Bandai America, just redo it. And the craze took hot fire. Hot fire. Can't believe it. Which is I mean I mean unreal. And just to this day. I mean, think about the stuff they still they reiterate and they try and things fail and then they set up something new and then they sell a bunch of the classic stuff and it even touched on the fact that the generation of young that grew up with the show are now old and have money and so they're buying the freaking gold-plated daggers and shit. I mean, yeah. There's there's crazy merch still still available. Obviously, Hasbro actually owns the rights now. But yeah. the other thing that I find interesting is beyond Mighty Morphin, the show can, has continued to go on and there's still I guess technically new episodes of the same franchise, series, whatever. But uh, nothing will ever reach the the height of, of Mighty Morphin, even in that second, like, second season. When they brought in the White Ranger, the White Ranger was actually cut from a different uh, Sentai series altogether. Sure. Yeah, yeah, completely. Another thing they throw, like, we got, and they, like, we got to keep throwing shit at this. Like, we need new stuff because we need to keep selling shit and making it interesting. Unreal. Unreal how much that thing made. I mean, I didn't even, I didn't even realize how big it was in my childhood until watching apps and being like, oh, fuck, everybody had those little head turners, the head flippers. The flippers? Like, they innovated technology. Yeah, man. Flippers. Get out of town. Get out of Get town. Get out of here. Take your money with you. Oh, man, that was so, and I'll be 100% honest, Chris, like, that was, like, my second wave of, like, that was when I realized how powerful merchandising was. Before that, before that, we got to talk Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Right, yeah, yeah. Now, this was a comic book first by two dudes who just loved comic books, much like me and Chris. They just wanted to write a comic book together, so they friggin' did it. So, why don't you... Chris, why don't you tell us a little bit about that whole thing right now? I mean, the idea that this that Kevin Eastman and, and Peter Laird were the two guys that were just like friends. They found each other. I can't, they tell the story of how they met, and it was just like they were like, oh, shit, we like the same stuff. And they started making Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which is a self-published comic book. And if you know anything about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, you know that that original comic book is very different than what we know as Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Um, for a lot of reasons, everything from little stuff like they all wore the same color headband uh, and the comic was in black and white to the fact that it was like it was uh, it wasn't hyper violent, but it was a violent comic. I mean, they're cutting foot soldiers in half and stuff. It, it's not a child's comic book. It was written for the comic alt scene, which was comics that were separated from Marvel and DC and in the superhero genre. And they were separated from children's comics like freaking Archie and Disney and all that shit. They were like in more of the like vertigo dark horse style ones that were making all that stuff spawn yeah mcfarland's empire was building yeah, yeah like and so this is just two dudes making this thing that happened to just fucking this guy came in one day and said this looks like a weird thing i'm gonna go try and sell it for you and got in his car and drove across the country trying right. to pitch this thing they're like hey teenage mutant Ninja turtles you should try it you guys want to make toys you want to make some fucking toys you want to make some toys talk and about got turned down like 80 times <laughs> like the guy the guy didn't want he was like i'm just trying to make toys like talk about a guy who drove something all the way home he, he, it was him those two dudes just wanted to make a small comic and be done and this guy was like no i'm gonna freaking take this all the way to hong kong after everyone else has told me no so that Playmates Toys, which basically made like doll houses and like shitty stuff, 
He's like, okay, guys, what do you say? <laughs> yeah, I guess we'll see if it works. So much so, I mean, this is this is one of those things that happens to, all right, we're going to put out these toys, but we need more substance behind them. The comic, like, yeah. like Chris said, the comic was very black and white, uh, same color bandanas, totally different look. And they kill Shredder, who's like the main first, antagonist first issue. in the first issue. First issue, drop him off a fucking like in the movie, fucking roof into a thing. First, first time, boom, done. <clears throat> Sorry, uh, but I remember when these toys hit the shelves; they were so hot you couldn't. Much like Power Rangers, again, like my second wave. It went. I mean, the, the the not only did the animated series catch on in those first five episodes, but like it just went again. They, like you were, you were gonna say Power Rangers, it just blew up. Like everybody, this thing, they're like, this is so weird. The best part all of, of a sudden was just exploding. Right. The best part about the, when they developed the show, because at one point the formula was all right. We have this new toy concept. Send it over to this animation company who did like Transformers. Uh, G.I. Joe did like they were kind of doing all of it. And then the guy who does the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle song, cue the song right now, please. Boom. Dropping it in. Yeah. Chuck Lorre. Two and a half men. Yeah. There's two and a half men guy. The Big Bang Theory, that Chuck Lorre that you see at the end of all those shows. Get a grip. What? What I love, though, is the fact that he freaking, that's what he did during that time. He's like, yeah, basically me and my partner just made music. He is, which also reiterated, he is just Charlie from Two and a Half Men. He it made jingles, jingles, and that's how he got rich, and then he started doing TV shows. And, like, he's talking about, yeah, if you had, uh, if you watched a cartoon show in the 90s, it, odds are good that we did the, uh, we that we did the, uh, the song, the intro song. He's like, yeah, we did them all. We did X-Men, uh, we did freaking G.I. Joe. He just goes, he just rattled them all off. It's like, God damn! <laughs> And then he was like, uh, I guess I'll create some sitcoms. What? Yeah, I guess I'll go and do this. And then now, look at him. He's a owns it. I love when he reads. And that there's a great scene where they hand him a piece of paper and he reads the lyrics to the Ninja, Teenage Turtles. Ninja Turtles theme song. And like when he's done, he just throws a piece of paper and he goes, poetry. <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, it's just garbage when you actually read it. Right. I did it, though, because that theme song is still being referenced. Oh, yeah. You know it. Yeah, of course. And then what makes this story even better, the show's booming, the toys are selling, they're running out of things to put the turtles in. They're they're throwing everything, much like kit bashing almost, but in a newer version where they're putting them in, like, like athletic gear. They're They're putting the turtles and everything on the toys, not even being seen in the con- uh, the cartoon. There's actually even a villain who's probably the most sought after villain in uh, in the toys because he never made the show. But it's the duck the the duck guy who wears like this bomber jacket. Who's a villain but never made the show. However, they made a toy. No, oh, they do. They they were like, I love. That's a great scene in the documentary too, where they're like. Yeah, every week they needed more villains, so we just kept pumping them out. We Mosquito them Man, like yeah. and Mosquito Man, and the freaking Rumble Dumble, like all this stuff. It's like, oh damn, right? But then the guy who landed the merchandising deal is like, let's make a movie, and everyone's like, yeah, this is the this is I think the the gem in this whole movie or or, or episode rather is he goes, 
let's make a movie. And then he calls somebody who know, he's like, yeah, who he he's like in touch with, like knows somehow. And he's like, oh, yeah, uh, I'm working with Jim Henson. What? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Just like if if someone was calling me and be like, oh, yeah, I'm working with this guy, Chris. Like, that's how it was. But like, yeah, like, oh, yeah, no big except deal. Chris is like this crazy uh, animate puppet public guy yeah oh no big deal don't don't worry nothing nothing to see or hear nothing here. special yeah it's like yeah anyway so then he all right let's do a movie and everyone's like oh man you really fucked this one up uh everyone's like uh turned out oh, yeah, when they walked out you fucked that movie up yeah turns out to be the biggest movie of the of all time at that point right the biggest uh, the biggest, uh independent film of all time, all time. and that yeah, movie is dark that point, things end up passing it but like that movie is way, and the funny part is they built, they took all this work to make the cartoon and make the toys, and then the movie is way closer to the comic book. <laughs> way close. It's actually the first comic, to, a, a long majority of it, anyway. Yeah. So they were like, "Oh, wow, you you fucked that one up," and then it, yeah, it just breaks every record for the be- best independent film and all this shit. And it's, you watch it now, and it's obviously aged poorly, but you're like, "Damn, I no, people, that movie, movie blew people's minds." No, I don't think that movie aged at all. I think that movie is still a classic. I think that movie splashed like all the way, man. Like, oh, it's dark. It's like New York in the '80s, and yeah, it's got it's got kind of a twisted underbelly of the city thing. It's kind of cool. I mean, it's got what's his name in it? Uh, who's in Iron Man Two? Sam Rockwell is in that movie. Oh yeah, he is. I forget about that. And you've got Casey Jones, April O'Neil. Man, that can't believe all the things that have spun. I mean, just just watching this show, you can see how so many things have come and been worked in, and how toys are so important to these massive franchises that we're so familiar with. And they're are part of our just pop culture in so many different ways. When we talk about Ninja Turtles and Power Rangers all the time, and if you go back to the other seasons, you're looking at Transformers and Star Trek and Star Wars. Like, yes. toys are so important. Even if you didn't play with those toys, even if that was not what you were into, they have such have have had such an influence on your life in some pop culture way you probably don't even know. Yeah, and I think I think looking back on everything, it's different now. Having the toys accessible at that time really. Uh, flourished imagination. I don't think we have that anymore. I think now everyone is... They're just not the same. I mean, I see kids all the time on phones, uh, kids who can't draw or write because they're not used to using their thumbs, which is a weird thing. What the hell is this thing all about? So I think think what was really great about toys and, and is so important that definitely got glossed over in a marketing aspect and a way to get money is... Imagination, that's creation. And I think uh Yeah. So true. I think so true. I think we're missing that now. But Yeah. Well hopefully Toys R Us coming back with their new freaking room where you can go and play with toys. Maybe that would inspire people to actually fucking play with some toys because they're awesome. I'm if I'm being honest, that sounds like a Simpsons episode. Really does, right? Well, they're monitoring yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh but what was your toy favorite? What I mean, we've talked about Power Rangers, we talked about Ninja Turtles, Ghostbusters, I mean, Legos, Star Wars. The list goes on, but what was the toy that you were flipping out about or that you had to have that was sold out? Was it a Tickle Me Elmo? Was it, you know, whatever it was. We're coming to that holiday season where things can get a little crazy. And if a toy, like, what was the last one that came out? Uh, The... 
Hatchimal's got pretty Hat- fucking big. Yo, my my nieces just had a Hatchimal a uh, couple weeks ago. Yeah, I freaking found a Hatchimal at a store and bought it and sold it for a bunch more. I gotta be honest, that's not that's not that cool. The Hatchimal was a little disappointing, right? Honestly, if you're going that close, it was like a shipment that came in at the last minute. If I had been there earlier, I would have bought them all. So you're waiting that long to get your kid a present. It's on you, man. If you haven't seen it yet, check out The Toys That Made It Season 3. It's got, like I said, uh, My Little Pony, WWE, Power Rangers, and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Also, there's older episodes with Star Wars, Barbie. We got Hello Kitty in there as well. We've got He-Man, all of it, G.I. Joe. They're all in there. So definitely check it out. It's on Netflix. I know. Definitely worth a watch. Very, very cool. Yes, yes. And following this, uh, we also have, we'll be talking about the movies that made us later as well as we we got a lot of cool stuff coming also it's the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 30th anniversary for the movie so we'll talk about that also coming up this season on Cheese Splash but let us know what you're thinking with toys, Christmas, all that we want to know what you're seeing Uh, you can hit us up tell me what you want, what you really want Spice Girl uh, you can hit us up at G Splash Podcast on Instagram or in the email at gsplashbc at gmail.com. I'm Bradley Bax. This is my man Chris Bucky Watch. We out of here, baby. Peace.